Warning. What you're about to hear may contain mature language, adult situations, and depictions of graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised. Like, people just go and buy sweatpants because they're like, yeah, sweatpants are comfy, and I like lounging around in them. And I'm just mm-hmm. like, I never thought to buy them. Yeah. Not because I'm some, like, I'm always doing cool shit and never have time to like i'm always sitting around like doing jack shit but like yeah i just wear the same pants or like a pair of shorts or something yeah and i bought I some 20 dollars sweatpants i was like wow these are really cozy now i wear them all the time i only wear sweatpants to bed don't you overheat uh well i only wear them to bed in like the winter time oh yeah what about oh see now you're gonna get me talking about pajamas like mm-hmm. flannel like pajama pants and, and yeah shirts uh huh. Right, like in sitcom, dads are always wearing like the flannel pants and then like a pocket T-shirt. Yeah. But they make like a like a matching shirt, right? To go with, you know what I mean, like a button-up. And like sometimes you see like older guys on in TV and movies wearing those in bed. You know, the husband and wife will get in their super like needlessly complicated bed with like all the extra mm-hmm. pillows and stuff and mm-hmm. the blankets that look like. Very fancy, but not terribly comfortable. Yeah. Like things with like trim and like very ornate sort of accoutrement. Mm -hmm. If someone got me those as a gift, I wouldn't know what to do with them. I might try them on and then feel weird. I don't think I would end up wearing them that often. Uh, Because like I said, I I usually would just wear a t-shirt and if if it's cold enough to weren't long pants it's just gonna be sweatpants and a t-shirt but that being said i would like to have an actual like nice set of pajamas like silk pajamas maybe a linen something you know what i mean like something very like not something that's necessarily for like excessive warmth but just excessive comfort and to keep you a little bit warmer you know what about a jumpsuit to bed well like or just uh this might i don't know if this is an innovative concept at all but like what about like Imagine like coveralls or like you're talking over, about like a you're talking over, about like onesie pajamas that have like the butt flap, right? No, coveralls like like workwear. Yeah, but made out of but made out of like pajama material. Yeah, yeah. I the only problem if you got to get up and go to, like if you got to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. The easy old timer. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm starting to get into the idea of there's this one guy at my work who he doesn't wear cov- coveralls or like a full jumpsuit, but he wears like Carhartt like overalls every yeah. day with just like the same black hooded sweatshirt and i'm like yeah i like the idea of that mm-hmm. like he's always he's ready for anything yeah i think like uh i don't know like i remember even as a kid like i wore a lot of of uh overalls as a kid i remember the bathroom situation being kind of annoying i can see for myself that as much as i is you know particularly if using a public restroom as mu- as as cumbersome as I f- find just regular pants in that scenario, that that could be a little overwhelming for me. I would like to. I, I actually do wish I owned a pair of uh, overalls in general because there's been many, many a situation where it's like I don't need this on a day to day, but it would have been handy right now. You know. Yeah. Like my friends bought like a bought a house. Um, it was basically when they bought it. It was basically like the you ever seen Gone Baby Gone. There's like a pedophile house that, you know, that's just like that they go into that and it's just like filled with like 
shit and, and crap and all this weird stuff and garbage. It was basically like that, and I helped them clean it out. Um, and co- uh, overalls would have, or coveralls would have been very nice in that scenario. Yeah. So yeah, every now and then I think I run into it. I was like, ah, this could be handy right now. So I should probably just buckle down and get some. Yeah, man, you you probably get one pair and they last you the rest of your life. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Welcome to our new podcast, Pants Talk. Oh man, just talking talking about uh, two two dudes talking about daily life and navigating the complicated modern world. Like, how do we simplify pants and what kind of pajamas do you want to wear? Like, have you ever the seen big this questions. Keith, have you been watching this YouTube they keep talking about? There's all these videos on there of people just plugging in light bulbs and showing you how to fill up an ice tray. Oh, and mowing lawns? Oh, my God. I love lawn care YouTube. Holy shit. Hey, do you think there's any uh, any YouTube videos about snow? Oh, uh, yeah, definitely. In fact, yesterday I was watching, <laughs> I was watching <laughs> this girl who's like, how I survive living in the coldest city on earth. And she lives in like the uh, most northernmost uh, city in Siberia. Mm. And she's like, everyone kind of universally agrees that if you're outside for more than 20 minutes at a time, it's too cold. And uh, if you have uh, any exposed skin, uh, uh, frostbite will set in almost immediately. So make sure you're covered up. I'm like, holy crap. Like, oh, you can't have. Uh, Indoor plumbing in a lot of places because uh, the water will freeze. Jesus Christ. Who decides, like, let's settle here. This seems like a good spot. It is really, though, it's dictated by commerce. It's like, oh, this is like a mining town. Okay, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. Yeah, I love how you're trying to you're secretly slide into the topic of this week's show. You were like, oh, I'm going to do a quick transition here. I'm re- I'm really trying to get good at my transitions. That's the funny thing, though, is I think for this topic we don't need we don't need a transition because it's Wait. already here, baby. It's winter time. Was the need some sort of pun when you said need like that? No, I just like talking like a. Oh, okay. Talking like a disc jockey. Well, yeah, so it is winter time, and we're back with more episodes of The Trash Heap about the winter. Yeah, we're talking movies and weather phenomenon, because that's what we're all about. Last week, we talked about, uh, last week, last episode, we talked about I Am Not a Serial Killer, movie takes place in the winter. Oh, I guess that's true. Yeah. And in the like the Midwest, right? Midwest, there's snow, snow all around in that movie. We they pass through Thanksgiving and Christmas. They cover all the winter holidays that are practiced by Anglo-Saxon Americans. And that's that's actually part of why I wanted to do this episode because in recent years the conversation, the discourse is is such and such a Christmas movie. And it's, right. it started out sort of as kind of fun and silly, and then now it's slowly gotten so far out of hand. It's absurd. And I've sort of soured on a lot of Christmas movies because there isn't very many new Christmas movies or holiday movies, holiday-specific movies coming out that are terribly interesting or doing something 
new or even particularly fun and good. Yeah. And so I'm now I'm more interested in seasonal movies. Yeah. And that's where snow comes into play because I find that even more so than quote unquote holiday movies that just winter snow type films <laughs> are what I gravitate towards this time of year, even if it's not snowing, but it has dipped into the low forties and high thirties. So I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for well, this type of movie. You know, seasonal movies as opposed to specifically holiday movies is kind of the collective experience that we all share because regardless of what traditions your particular family celebrates or what your perspective is on things, everyone goes through the seasonal change. Even if you live in a warmer place that doesn't necessarily get super cold, it gets colder in the winter. If like you live in, in, if you live in Palm Springs, it goes from, you know, 120 degrees in the summer to just like a, a cool 85 degrees in, in the winter. And, you know, like me growing up, like I, my parents like did Christmas and, and shit, but I would have never been to church. There was no religious context about it to me. I didn't really even realize that it was like a religious holiday till I got a little bit older, you know. What is what is our collective winter experience versus what is our Christmas experience is a little bit more interesting. Probably not too many people who have never experienced snow. Yeah. Or- well, because even if you live in California or something like your entire life, there's places you can go to in California to get some snow like up in the mountains and whatnot. Yeah, definitely. Like I think just about everyone has had a even a minor experience. Right. There's probably more people who haven't been to the ocean yes. than there are people who have, which to me, that's such a baffling thing, you know? Yeah, it's always wild to hear. Yeah, being like born in a beach town, have always lived on like Western uh, coastal states. So, you know, the, the ocean has never been more than, you know, a couple hours away from me at, at the most. Well, we're not here to talk about those poor devils. We're here to talk no. about... No. What are the movies we're talking about today, Keith? Listen, I'm a huge fan of the early 2000s and late uh-huh. 90s. I think that was kind of a very special time in movies. And specifically... Was uh, it because you really enjoy you really enjoy ska on movie soundtracks? It's because I was a kid and I was having the time of my life and the world was my oyster and I saw so much potential and had hope for the future still. Wait, was it because you met me in the early 2000s? a lot different than just now. (laughs) I was wearing cargo pants. Yeah. I felt ready for anything with those goddamn cargo pants, those big pockets. I could put stuff in them. Um, We got two movies today, though, right? Oh, we got more than that. We're going to focus on two, primarily two movies, but there's also a few movies uh, that I wanted to touch on in addition but yeah, the mm. two movies that we're gonna really be hammering on are the year from the year two thousand, Snow Day, and from the year two thousand two, Snow Dogs. Wow. What's your familiarity with these two movies prior? What's your prior knowledge and experience? I knew that they existed. <laughs> I had never. There, I have zero nostalgia factor for these movies. I never had seen Snow Day or Snow Dogs up until about. Well, I, uh, Snow Day I watched yes, 
yesterday or the day before? Yesterday. I can't back remember. during this time, you were uh, you were like an edge lord. Yeah. I was out there, you know, like uh, in this in the alleys, eating garbage, dump <laughs> dumpster diving. You know, like sneering at people. You're definitely sneering. There's a lot of sneering and glaring. I believe I you were wearing you you were wearing one of those Dickies jackets. You're a Dickies oh, jacket yeah. guy. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you were drawing like uh, underground comics. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, everything you thought everything was stupid. I think you exclusively ni- listened to like Nick Cave or some shit like that. Yeah, this all sounds about right. You know, <laughs> this is all tr- this is all tracks. <laughs> What a time to be alive. Uh, yeah. So, Meanwhile, but, I was on the other side of the fence. I was wearing cargo pants. I was listening to Sky. I was dancing through the streets. Uh, I'd already, t- I, I already p- done my, my deal with Sky. I, I, you know, I'd <laughs> moved past it. It wasn't 1997 for me anymore. I was on to the year 2001. There was still uh, a tremendous variety of ska. There's still a lot left in the tank yeah. on that wave, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, I will say this. like, While I do not like a- go- actively listen to ska by any means, when it does pop up in a soundtrack, it does give me a little bit of joy for some reason. It's got an energy to it and a vibe. Yeah. And it, like, there's no question why it was included in so many sort of kids slash preteen movies around this time. I mean, literally any, I feel like any comedy from 1997 to 2002 probably had at least one Scott track on it, regardless of the uh, target group. Oh, yeah. And it was, is the biggest sort of culprits tended to be uh, Nickelodeon films and Mm -hmm. MTV films. Oh, yeah. If it had Tom Green in it, there's going to be ska. But yeah, more specifically, like these Nickelodeon movies. And I want to talk about the kind of the history of Nickelodeon films because everyone knows sort of all these uh, animated movies and kind of these goofy movies based on shows and things like that. But there is sort of a holy trinity of Nickelodeon films from this era, specifically. Uh, Harriet the Spy, mm-hmm. uh, Good Burger, yep. uh, Snow Day, which we're mm-hmm. talking about today, and then uh, a little bit later on, Clock Stoppers. Is that a Nickelodeon movie? Clock Stoppers is a Nickelodeon movie. Do you know who directed that movie? Uh, I don't. Riker from Star Trek, The oh, Next Jonathan, Generation. Uh, I was going to say Jonathan Brandis, but Jonathan Franks. <laughs> Jonathan Franks, yeah. That's funny. Good for him. It's a real, yeah. it's a real hoot. But yeah, the this this sort of little cluster of movies would go on to kind of I, I hesitate to use the the word iconic, but they really made Nickelodeon films iconic. So much so that now there is a nostalgia for Nickelodeon movies, uh, mm-hmm. unfortunately, of which I am a part. Even though they actually didn't produce a ton of movies at the time, it's weird. Like the like those three movies. Uh, that I, I listed were kind of the huge monster hits. And then there is a ton of uh, kind of other stuff surrounding that, that mm-hmm. obviously like the Rugrats movie, yeah, uh, Rugrats in Paris, Jimmy Neutron, uh, Hey Arnold, Rugrats, all that kind of Did the Rugrats stuff. go to Paris? Is that they a real did. thing? Yeah. All right. Wow. 
I will say that I remembered the trailer for Snow Dogs very vividly because it's, it's so ridiculous. And it does not represent the trailer does not represent the movie at all. No, unfortunately. Um, the movie I was actually like pleasantly surprised by, and I enjoyed Snow Day as well. So like going into these movies, I think with like I said, zero nostalgia factor, and coming out the other end being like, I enjoyed these movies. You know, they're not necessarily like all time classics for me, but I had a good time with them, and I wouldn't I uh, wouldn't stop anyone from watching them. Well, excellent. I guess that'll be our show for today. Thanks everybody for listening. <laughs> We've reached the end of the trail here on. <laughs> No related movies. You know, I was just trying to see, try to do the 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 backwards dissection. You know. Yeah, start at the end, and we'll we'll go all yeah. the way to the beginning. In fact, I this, shouldn't have even said the names of the movies yet. Yeah, this is the memento of podcasts. <laughs> we'll meet in the middle. Yeah, so let's talk about Snow Day real quick because yeah, Snow Day is a movie vividly remember the TV spots and trailer for, and watching mm-hmm. it now after all of these years, just the trailer. Sure. Well, did you never watch the movie when it came out? I watched it, I think, like four or five years later when I was in okay. college. I didn't have Nickelodeon or cable. And so, like, and I didn't go to the movies a lot, honestly. So if I did, I was probably going to see, like, a sci-fi movie or horror movie. Probably mm-hmm. saw, like, uh, when did Eight-Legged Freaks come out? I feel like... That was, like, uh, like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess 2003. 2002, so two years later. But around that time, if I was going to the movies, I was going to see like Eight-Legged Freaks or Resident Evil or something like that Mm -hmm. versus a comedy for kids. But I still appreciated the energy it had. And if you watch the trailer, this is arguably one of the best trailers, maybe not in terms of (laughs) technical prowess, but in terms of giving you what an accurate sense of the movie you're going to see this is it like it's yeah. got it's the greatest hits uh from the movie snowball fights uh setting up the idea that anything can happen on a snow day the romance of 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 you know preteen love uh d- stealing a snowmobile uh getting chased by a an an evil snowplow, an, e- an evil city employee just trying to do his job, but also hoping yeah. to murder kids along the way. There's a, there's a sinister element to this ben- seemingly benign snowplow man. There is, but it's also a kind of a cartoon world where absolutely where as as the main character Hal says, anything can happen on a snow day, and even though there are moments when moments of danger where you know, you're worried for the safety of these kids. You just know they're going to come out on top. And that's what I really love about the movie is it's just got a youthful energy of and a message of hope. It is really uh, a fun movie. I think if I, if I, I mean, it came out at, a t- like I said, t- to the year 2000. So I, you know, I was uh, a senior in high school. So, I mean, it was, I was definitely not the target audience for this movie. Although at the same time, it kind of goes in between this like little kid and teenager story or whatnot. Um, Which is part of the story being caught in between. Right. You know, still being a kid and wanting to play and have fun and use your imagination and versus like 
when you're on the other side and all you think about is dating and being yeah. in high school and blah, blah, blah. I think if this movie had come out earlier, this would be an all-time classic for me. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it, you know, so I, the movie is from, like you said, from Nickelodeon. It's from the creators of Pete and Pete, uh, which if you remember the adventures of Pete and Pete, that was one of my favorite shows as a kid. Yeah, that show is weird. And has a lot of the... It, this This is definitely... Not as weird. It's more grounded in reality than Pete and Pete, but it is definitely has a lot of the same energy to it. Yeah, and it's surprisingly well made. There's a yes. lot of these types of movies that are just half-ass straight-to-TV bullshit. Mm-hmm. This is an extremely competently made movie. Yes. There's multiple characters with their own unique stories and threads that are all framed by this snow day. And they're all sort of weaving in and out of each other until they come together at the end. Mm -hmm. And while maybe the ending isn't quite like a perfectly satisfying kind of fist pumper type, you know, victory, it uh, it's still pretty rock solid. And I think that it really gets off on the perfect foot. Not even like the the actual opening of the movie, the the initial like logo for -hmm. Nickelodeon films. It's a giant snowball crushing someone's house. The icy skin of the snowball flakes off, and underneath is the Nickelodeon logo. Yes. So from the first two seconds, I'm in. Like, I'm already on board. I don't know if I was... Uh, I agree with you that I was all good and good and all, but I don't think I was You that probably weren't paying attention to that. You were I probably, wasn't. like, making some kind of complicated beverage. Yeah, you're probably right. <laughs> some uh, kind of caramel macchiato or espresso type nonsense or like uh some kind of complicated cocktail that sounds more like i've never made uh espresso at home oh you seem like an espresso guy to me you know what with every your, now- your complicated sneakers and your dark jeans every now and then sure you know but normally i just get uh well if i get coffee out like if i go to like to a coffee shop i get an americano which is you know Somewhere in between espresso and just regular black coffee, um, but yeah, we have a nice coffee maker at home though that makes pretty good coffee. Not espresso, just coffee. Uh, yeah, I'm not like I'm not a huge coffee head. I like coffee, but it's not. I'm not. I don't obsess over it. All right, I need you to expunge that from your your brain and your personality, and mm-hmm. I, I want you to send yourself winging back to childhood when uh, a snow day. A day off yes. from school was the most important thing you could imagine. Okay, so here's kind of the thing I was thinking about. I kept trying to think about this, like, this, you know, desire for snow days. One, I think at an early age, I realized that you make it up at the end of the year. <laughs> so I was, you know, if a snow day occurred, I was just like, oh, I'm just going to have to go to school an extra day in June. Right? Two... Where I spent the bulk of my childhood, the house I lived in, if we had a snow day that was severe enough to close school, it was also just difficult to get out of my house. So we lived in like this like in this pit, not a neighborhoody type place. And if it snowed, you really couldn't get up and down the hills very easily. And if it snowed that much, 
there's a fair chance that the power would go out. And where we lived, if the power went out, it would potentially be days. And you're really just like, do you identify with the snowplow driver, don't you? <laughs> yes. Six days. Snowstorm, six days without power. And let me tell you this, Keith. Our water was from a natural well. So you had an electric water pump that would pump the water into the house. If the power went out, also the water went out. Yeah, I lived in the same exact situation. We had to fill up the bathtub with uh, with snow and let it uh, let it thaw out and melt. And uh, we used that for water. We used camping showers. We used a kerosene heater for like two weeks during an ice storm. That's not the point. Because I, I never had a snow day like in the movie Snow Day. I never lived oh, no. in a neighborhood like in the movie Snow Day. Exactly. But I want can... what these kids had. That snow fort that those kids have, that is next level shit. Oh, yeah, they've got like a TV. and th- The irony that they would go to all that trouble of building the snow fort only to put video games in it so they could just sit inside. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there's also like a whole tunnel system and slides. Yes, and... but the point of this whole movie is living in the moment and... Uh, the opportunity to chase adventure and excitement yes. and not the the garbage childhoods that we actually had. It's an opportunity yes. to live vicariously through Hal and his little sister and all these other goofballs. I would say as an adult, I'm much more excited about a snow day, actually, because like my work might close and then I can go and do all the things that I wanted to do yeah, as a you kid. You can day drink, you can wander through yeah. your neighborhood and have yeah. a snowball fight with your neighbors. That's the funny part is like, you can literally do all of the stuff that they're able to do in this movie as an adult. Yes. And in pot, potentially enjoy it more. Like I went to Disneyland for the first time as an adult and I was like, this is much better as an adult than it would have been as a kid. Why is that? I don't know. Just cause I could do whatever I wanted and you spit, have to, you spit know, on the ground, spit on the ground. If you are at Disneyland that place is so clean. There's constantly people cleaning it. Yeah. I, I was rifling through my wallet looking for something, and I dropped a receipt. And, and they I, caught it before it hit the ground? No. Like, <laughs> it dropped, and I put, it out of the air. I put my wallet away, and I went to go pick it up. And someone had I – saw, I saw someone just, like, walking away from me with a little dustbin and, and, uh, and broom. It was insane. Are you saying Disneyland stole your receipt? Yes. <laughs> okay, Disneyland employee number 23590. If you could return that receipt uh, at your soonest, I'll just give out Elliot's address uh, on the show here. Perfect. <laughs> About time. Good justice. Uh, no, I enjoy it. Yes, I, I, I understand. What did you the think th- of uh, this opening scene where Hal does a voiceover? The main character goes by the name of Hal. He mm-hmm. does a voiceover explaining how snow is formed. I I really like that. It really kind of set the tone. I fucking love it. Yeah. It's brilliant. Not only does this kid have a pleasant sounding voice, but you're learning something and there's these awesome visuals of molecules even before like Spider-Man and all these like uh uh superhero movies started doing that you know with the going inside of dna strands and watching it right. rip apart it was happening here well it, it it feels like a more like wholesome start to a paul thomas anderson movie or something where it's like 
at the beginning of the cosmos, this dust formed, and that's why I am here today talking to you, my wife, who just slept with my dad, you know? <laughs> it's like, you know, like those types of narrated, narrated intros. It's like that, but it's not, it's, uh, it's not as heavy. It's just kind of like, this stuff happens, and that's why we're going to have an awesome snow day, and we're going to try and get two snow days out of this, and YOLO. It really is, though. It's like... This simple scientific process that you can't see creates this thing that sets off a series of events that makes right. life magical. Right. It's not caused by magic, but it's the it's the uh, it's the word I'm looking for. It's the catalyst to mm-hmm. magic and potential and fun. Yes. Yeah, it's super charming, and it's the kind of thing you wouldn't see in a similar movie. Like, so, sort of, this is like one of the first pieces of the puzzle that elevates this movie uh, above just some other, you know, kind of preteen comedy romp. Or even they might even say something and like have a little intro about snow. It's like, snow makes everything awesome. Like, that would be it, you know? Yeah. Or it would be like uh, just someone getting hit with a snowball fight or snowball or. Ever since I was a little kid, I love snow. And then we get the the house voiceover explaining like what he's all about and who he is and talking about where he lives. And it's that trope of like, well, this is me. Uh, here's what my life yeah. is like. Like the John Hughes style Ferris Bueller type thing. But, you know, this is kind of that, that time between the 1980s and 2000s when that was being rooted as a trope right that right this was the time where that was established and so now we look back at it and laugh but it works for a reason yes it's a very quick way to get you up to speed and clued in on uh what the hell is going on you also get introduced to the uh evil principal that everyone Mm -hmm. hates yes and he 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 becomes this running gag through the entire movie where you don't learn that much about him, but you learn just enough. You learn that he likes hot weather, he hates snow days, and he hates closing the school. Mm-hmm. And so because of that, uh, he revels in the children's misery, it seems. And so because of that, the rest of the movie, he is relentlessly tormented by his students uh, who pelt him with snowballs. Yeah, it's like he, he's not a he's not a significant character other than the fact that he just, it, 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 I like the fact that he doesn't be play a larger role in this where he's like actively like going around trying to thwart snow itself, you know. <laughs> yeah. In a lesser movie, he would have built some like giant contraption that heats up the entire town, you know. Actually, that sounds kind of cool. Well, fine, Keith. So day 2. <laughs> No, but it's a great Brennan gag. Just yes. like lots of just little quick vignettes of him uh, in different scenarios getting, you know, blasted by snowballs. It's great. It's always good for yeah. a chuckle. I love all the individual components of this movie. I do think that maybe the movie's one weak weakness is it is all these little different stories. And it doesn't re- always necessarily feel like we're moving around within the same... Well, it does feel like we're moving around in the same universe, but it doesn't feel like we're like there's a necessarily a cohesion between these different stories going back and forth. Possibly because I think maybe the the story does kind of focus on uh, what's the what's the older kid's name? Hal. 
Hell, he's like obviously supposed to be the main character. And I kind of feel like his sister is more of the main character, but doesn't get as much screen time or development. Yeah, I feel like you, uh, they did, they did it, played it pretty safe. They're like, if you're not interested in Hal, who is obsessed with the most popular girl in school, right, and thinks that this snow day is his one big shot, uh, to, to date right. her, I guess, check out his little sister, who, right, uh, in their defense, they have a good relationship, which is cool. Yes. Usually they would have the, the older brother and the sister constantly fighting and bickering and being annoying and right. and then they come together at the end but that's not they they actually get like a a really well done story together where they've actually been the best of friends and he's a good older brother but now that he's getting older and interested in other things uh she's still kind of in childhood and clinging to those memories and has a hard time letting go and so right. that's their their conflict which is great but she gets to have her own story of, you know, she's going to defeat the snowplow man and she's going to, you know, make sure that the neighborhood is safe for all the kids on, on a snow day and they won't have to go back to school right away. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, yeah, she doesn't really get uh, uh, too, too fleshed out far beyond that. But on the surface, it just gives you an option of, you know, you get to, you know, pick your pick your pathway a little bit. Absolutely. I just felt like the perhaps that 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 was kind of more where the backbone of the of the story was, but wasn't fleshed out in, in, properly. Yeah. And like a, a little bit more attention was given to how it should have just been the other way around. But whatever. I mean, like this is a minor thing. Yeah. And uh, this is kind of a screwball comedy. So there. Right. I, I'm sure there is an early draft of the script. What? you know, like a three-hour sort of director's cut version, yeah. but they they probably trimmed it down. Plus, yeah. they had to make room for Randy. Which one was Randy? Randy was the psychotic little brother. Who, oh, yeah. that. Good Lord. What like, What is going on with that kid? He's incredible. Well, he's uh, his workaholic mom is the problem, I think. Their family dynamic is so interesting because Chevy Chase plays their dad, who is a local weatherman. And uh, instead of him being the absentee father who's focused on his career, he's like a pretty good dad. And the mom instead is like career obsessed, like a high level executive at some bullshit company. And she's always on her phone and late for dinner, which is like a cool role reversal. Like typically it's, you know, especially around this time, like in the 90s, like... Uh, Jingle All the Way, for example. Yeah. Arnold Schwarzenegger plays a you know the same exact role, but it's in this case it's reversed. The world's busiest mattress salesman. Yeah, that's right. You're his, you're his number one customer. That's right. <laughs> the mom, work obsessed mom, stays home all day with Randy, the psychotic little boy who can fit his own his fist in his mouth. Uh, he eats soup with a crazy straw. What's some some other psychotic things that he did? I mean, just like he's obviously an unprofessional actor, which just makes him his character, I think, all the weirder. Yeah, they just really they cut him loose. I there's just like an airline early on where I wrote this down where he just says like that phone call must have been important, and the way he delivers it is just because like I said like I don't think this kid has ever 
acted before or had any acting like classes. It just seems like he's just like, we got a weird kid. Let's let him do whatever he wants. You know, like <laughs> he's the producer's nephew. Just throw him in there. Yeah. Let him, let him, let him run wild. And if he was delivering these lines the way like children actors deliver lines, his character, I think would be annoying and be like, Oh, it's the obviously kooky kid. But the fact that he's just such like unprof- so unprofessional about everything makes it all funnier. Yeah, and some of the stuff he does is really out of left field. It's like yeah. so strangely wacky instead of like, oh, he's wearing a funny hat or he put on mom's makeup. It's like he's just doing some real oddball stuff. Mm-hmm. And then by the end, uh, you know, he finally gets what he was craving the entire time, which was just attention from his mom. That's yeah. all he needed. He doesn't need a, a, you know, he doesn't need therapy. There's nothing wrong with him. He's just trying to get his mom's attention. Uh, I forgot to mention, there's a moment early on. <laughs> I can't believe this is... <laughs> right after they explain uh, sort of what a snow day is and the, the, anything can happen on a snow day and all that bullshit, there's like a newscast with the weatherman, with the Chevy Chase doing some stuff. They yeah. end this segment by... <laughs> it's such a hard time reading this. <laughs> He's like, and now uh, for our next story, we're going to turn to a man who sued himself and won. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love stuff like that. Yeah. That should be such a throwaway joke, but it's so absurd and hilarious. And they didn't need to try that hard. Right. They've got there's a hundred jokes per square inch in this movie. Mm -hmm. There's plenty of comedy. They, there is no need to add any kind of silly news story to like finish right. that out, but they did, and I well, I appreciate it so much because I fell off the couch laughing at that. I think too, like uh, I'm not a huge Chevy Chase fan, but his dryness really works well in this. Yeah, they didn't and... need him for a whole lot, and so he no. gets to just kind of exist here and be the straight man in a lot of scenarios, which is cool. It also seemed like do you do you have a recollection of this of Nintendo thinking Nintendo Nickelodeon uh, had this impression that like kids loved Chevy Chase more than anybody else. I feel like he was heavily featured, not in necessarily their shows, but like if they had like a Nickelodeon special, like the Nickelodeon Kids Awards or whatever. Or I remember when Nickelodeon magazine came out, he was on the cover of the first issue, covered in slime for some reason, and. It's just kind of. And I remember even as a kid thinking it was odd, being like, "It's like this is like why? Why do they think this is who kids want to see?" Yeah, the guy from Caddyshack. This movie has Iggy Pop in it in a role, and Iggy Pop was also on Pete and Pete, like I said from, earlier from the same creators. And Pete and Pete had actually a lot of like seventies, eighties, nineties musicians, and also a lot of just like indie actors from the time that were thrown in there. But as a kid, like, I didn't know who fucking, like, the dude from the New York Dolls was. So when he showed up, I was just like, I didn't, you know, I didn't get the reference. I didn't get the Iggy Pop reference. I didn't get the Steve Buscemi reference, you know, when Steve Buscemi was in there or when Michael Stipe was on the show. Uh, So those are all things that I can watch back later and be like, oh, okay, this wasn't put in there for the kids. That was put in there for them. But putting Chevy Chase in there seems to be clearly like, like, okay, this is the known guy that all the kids are going to know type of thing. What I wonder too if the performers were at that point where they're like, "Man, I want something that my kids can watch." 
Mm. You know, like I feel like a lot of people get to that point where, like Iggy Pop, right? He was in like a one of the Crow sequels and shit like mm-hmm. that. But maybe he was at that point where he's like, I'm in my, you know, late hundreds now. I think it's time to start slowing down and doing some kid friendly stuff that my great 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 grandchildren can can watch. I don't think it's odd that. Chevy Chase was in a Nickelodeon movie. I think it's just odd how much Nickelodeon seemed to think Chevy Chase was the the biggest draw to kids. Yeah, uh, this movie does have like an interesting cast, though. It's Pam like, Greer, Pam Greer, <laughs> right? <laughs> when she shows up, it's just like the head of the news station. I'm like, what? Okay, cool. Yeah, you and know, I mean, like she's like right, and this is like right after Jackie Brown too. So this is like after her big like, you know. Uh, her biggest role to date, you know, in life, you know, her most prestigious role to date in life. Uh, and then Gene Smart and uh, Chris Elliott and oh, isn't there a couple other little, like, little randos that pop up in here? I think Chris Elliott's a, like a great kid's villain, like a great Absolutely. antagonist. But everybody else, like, and no, no specific offense to Pam Greer, but like, there's nothing about any of these roles that it was like, oh, we need to get this person. Absolutely, like it's yeah. the kind of like very generic uh, role that you could have filled with anybody. So right. it is fun to see. Like, and I think like you're right on the money. I think it is like they're like, oh, what if we got Pam Greer? Right? Can we get Pam Greer? Yeah. And they were just uh, they were just stoked to have her. So that's cool. Uh, no, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, like I said, I wish. It had been a movie of my ch- that it came out sooner that it could have been a, of my childhood. Yeah, then you would have been more on board with the soundtrack, which mm-hmm. uh, it starts off like ripping pretty hard with a lot of Smash Mouth tunes, <laughs> and not even like super popular ones like uh, "Walking on the Sun" and all that. Yeah. It's like like a later kind of after they had gotten more popular, it's the the hit song, Come On, Come On, which is super catchy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then uh, there's also uh, a really great song by the ska band, The Hippos. Uh-huh. And it's actually one of their, they sort of uh, put out a record that was super ska-oriented with the full horn section. One of the tracks featured here actually minimizes that, and it's mm. kind of more of a pop-punk song, but it's still pretty cool. There's a couple odd songs I can't remember that I'm just kind of like, well, that's kind of weird that f- that I felt like would be in like a, an adult romantic movie like a, from a few years prior. I can't remember what they were, but I was like, they really struck me as being like, oh, that was a weird, that was a weird song choice. Well, that's the funny thing is like we, you know, we joke about like the ska soundtrack concept, but like if you look at the actual soundtrack, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, Jordan Knight. Who I believe uh-huh. is from New Kids on the Block, uh, yeah, LFO, uh-huh. which is like a, uh, you know, R and B vocal group, Ninety Eight Degrees, Boy Zone, Jesus Christ. <laughs> uh, oh, here's one, uh, Sixpence None the Richer. There she goes. Oh my God, everybody knows. Yeah, that, that song. I was just like, wow, that this song does not se- does not seem like it would be in here. Uh, the aforementioned Smash Mouth, uh, Wasting My Life by the Hippos. Uh, there's a song by the Mighty Mighty Boston's, I guess, that I, I didn't, didn't catch that. I didn't recognize that one. And then Foreigner, Waiting for a Girl Like You. <laughs> they actually use that. That's used in a scene like to comedic effect. Yeah, so there's quite a few songs here that aren't. Uh, it's unfortunately not a completely ska-dominated song- soundtrack, but 
still pretty catchy and fun. Going back to what you said initially, like about winter movies versus holiday movies, this captures a lot of the same spirit without it specifically referencing any type of holiday, religious or otherwise, you know? Yeah, definitely. And it, it, it does a great job of embracing like the, uh, like urban legends and like local lore and things like yes. when the snow plow man arrives to start plowing the driveways, they start talking about how uh, he, how many kids he's killed and like uh, the, the chains on his tires are made from the braces of his victims. Right. I mean, and that, that automatically <laughs> made me think of like the old man in uh, home alone, home alone. Home alone. Yes. You yeah, know, like exactly. it's the same type of thing, you know, he has like, he has like world war two, like, plain nose art on his plow. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's like the, the pet crow and just yeah. the awful teeth and all the, all the things, you know, it's like, it's over the top, but it's more a lot, like a lot of it is over the top in perception. You know, like the kids talking about like, Oh, it's made from the braces, you know? Well, that's exactly how kids perceive things. Right. Right. That being said, this kid, this guy does abduct a child and hold him hostage. Yes. So, I mean, he's not, <laughs> But he he does so in a way where it exists in this, like he's almost like a child, like a, a child himself, in the sense of the way he's not in the sense he's like oh he's a man child or anything, but he's just written with the personality of like a twelve year old bully. Oh, he's the neighborhood bully that never grew up for sure. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. He just stayed yeah. in town and stopped brushing his teeth and eats candy for dinner every night and yeah. At no point do you think he's going to murder anyone, but he no. is like imposing and then also. He's never out to like he explicitly says he's he's out to plow the streets and make sure that all these dumb kids have to go to school. So he's like right. very resentful of children, but he's not going to kill them and you know skin them to uh, upholster his, the seats of his truck. You know, right? Yeah, that that's all hearsay from the children. Right, but he he's out to do his job and he's going to do it well. And he takes a lot of like pride in his work. In fact, mm-hmm. he there, he exhibits a lot of glee when he's running over the the sort of f- snow fort and cave system that the kids have built. Oh yeah, it's like well, if if his if his one goal in life is to destroy snow, what what is what is greater than destroying a structure of snow that you know something that, something that someone has taken snow for from from the earth to create something grander. I'm looking at my notes and I feel like we've glossed over so much that happened in the movie. <laughs> well, it's because like the movie is just kind of like this. It's so, it's like the sum of its parts. Like there's right. so many exactly. little things happening. Yes. You could talk, if you want to like talk about, if you want to talk about this m- movie in more specifics, I think that would actually give you less of an idea of what the movie is about. You yeah. know? It would seem like it would seem completely disjointed and non-congruentness. Um, but talking about it broadly, like it's a, the movie is about the the feeling, the spirit, and the tone. Like and like, like you said, capturing that magical concept of what a snow day meant, you know. And like I said, even though those weren't necessarily my personal snow day experiences, I understand that moment and that feeling, you know. Because I have other things in life that I can relate to, to it. 
yeah, like I said, like we grew up very much the same way, but like living vicariously through this movie is why I like it so much because this is the like the type of place where I wanted to live and the type of like stuff that I wanted to happen. Right. That that you know I didn't get during that time. Exactly. Yeah. I won't spoil the ending. Obviously, uh, it's a a crucial sort of twist, surprise, shock ending reveal, but. The, there is a final shot of the principal going into his home, and apparently there is a cadre of children that have been in there waiting for him all day, and they bombard him with yeah. snowballs <laughs> as a final act of defiance, and that's pretty great. I have no idea how the fuck they got in there or how they're going to get out, but uh, uh, it's a great you moment. Th- regardless, you have to think about the the future ramifications of these kids. I mean, like that they they managed to get you know a couple of days off of school, but they're going to go back to school. And that principal, while maybe he can't do anything technically about what they did outside of school, he's going to find every excuse to to nail them in school. The smallest infraction. Oh yeah, detention. It's it's arguably the most petty, short sighted act you could commit. Uh, that's going to have a lasting effect on your I mean, adult none of the, life, but man. none of these kids, are, none of these kids are getting into college. Oh no! Like he's he's going he's going to ruin them academically. Nope they're gonna they're gonna end up staying in town and getting dead end jobs and you know what they're gonna be? They're gonna be the the new snowplow man. They will be. They're, they'll be. They're gonna start be, their own business. <laughs> they're gonna be what they hate. Um, but you got anything else to say on Snow Day before we move on to Snow Dogs? Speaking of becoming what you hate, uh, nope, that's it for Snow Day. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. It's so much fun. Watch it with your kids. Watch it by yourself. Is Snow Dogs fun to watch? Uh, what a weird movie. Um, yeah, I think neither of us had seen this. Uh, but, no. Yeah, we remember the trailer where it seemingly. They portray this as Cuba Gooding Jr. teams up with some dogs that have some attitude problems and can also talk. Like he inherits talking snow sled dogs is what the trailer would lead you to believe. Yeah, but that's not quite the reality. Uh, that's not, I mean, he inherits dogs who are sled dogs, but everything else about what the trailer presents is completely wrong. Yeah, that's where the similarities end. It's so weird that they chose to market the movie that way. Because it's either going to it's going to put off people who don't want to see a movie about talking sled dogs, and it's going to alienate those who do because they're going to go see the movie and find out that all that dog talking was about a, was like a three second dream sequence, and the rest of the movie is just about how James Coburn uh, banged a woman in a cave. Yeah, it's just about reacting to a black guy with a white father. Like yeah. everyone's jaw dropping, like yeah, you're his d- 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 dad. <laughs> this yeah, is I weird... feel like they got they watched the final movie and they were like, oh, they got cold feet about it. Yeah, and we're like, let's market this differently and pretend well, it, it didn't happen. <laughs> the target audience to this movie is kind of weird because at times, it, like, and I I totally think that kids' movies can deal with like more mature subjects and you know like darker subjects because i think kids i think those things are good for kids you know like learning how to deal with death and you know divorce and all and all that but this movie kind of like i said when i said it's about james coburn banging a woman in a cave i mean like that's literally a a thing that 
James Colbert talks about in the supposed to be this seemingly tender scene. He's like, well, I met your mom in a cave and, you know, we were cold. So, you know what happened. And uh, then you were born. And that's just kind of an odd thing to throw in there in a, in a, in a kid's movie. So, like, yeah, the market audience of this is pretty strange. I mean... Well, and it's the the brunt of the story is about a man searching for identity right. after the loss of his uh, seemingly father, his non biological father, um, who he idolized, and discovering that his biological father was someone he has nothing in common with, and and figuring out what that means to him as an adult man and for his family and all this kind of stuff. So it's, it's kind of a, like a heavy concept to deal with. Right. It would make a lot of sense if the writers were, you know, maybe uh, had been adopted or uh, had like a complex family dynamic growing up or this or that, but we really have no idea. No. I mean like, so the basic premise of this movie for you, for those of you who have only seen the trailer that would completely lead you astray, is that Cuba Gooding Jr. plays uh, the world's most famous dentist, it seems. Who, yeah, a real hotshot living uh, in hot shot, Yeah, uh, who discovers that he's adopted uh, when his biological mother dies, go, inher- inherits all of her shit. He goes to Alaska. He's from, he lives in Miami. Oh, ooh, crazy. Like, one's a tropical land, you know, hot land, and then the frozen tundra. Oh, I'll say this. Here's what? the thing. I will watch a uh, fish out of water, oh. uh, city slicker in nature kind of setup any day of the week. Absolutely. I love the fact that how, how much they lean into it. Like, or it's just like the f- opening shot is him just living his best life on the beach, you know, and everything couldn't be better for him. And then he gets the, to the winter. He's like, oh, it's cold over here. And I, um, to such an absurd degree that he can't stop slipping on everything, and right. he is constantly freezing despite having super expensive, high-quality outdoor winter gear. Anyone in their right mind would not be cold at all, but just by a, he's seemingly cold by a matter of principle and not right. actual temperature. <laughs> yes, exactly. But yeah, he he goes up to is it Alaska? Alaska, Pretty yes. Sure it's Alaska. Yeah. It is definitely Alaska. Um he you watched this movie I think like a couple days before I did and you described it to me in a way like something like if Salvador Dali made a Disney movie or something. Oh no, I didn't say that. You didn't say that, but you said something to that effect. You said something that's like it's Disney at its peak most just bizarre and then you said something and like it it is so it's like it's this hyper real like cartoon world it's it's almost like who framed roger rabbit but without the toon world yes like everything's just insane i mean like in the opening when you know he's a little cuba goody jr is a little kid uh going to uh you know take your kid to work day with his dad who's a dentist and he looks inside this lady's mouth and it's like a pov from the back of her throat like a giant set of teeth and he looks inside at these giant disgusting teeth and immediately throws up portraying this as like uh you as some very like surreal fever dream of a disney movie and and there's brief moments of levity where cuba gooding jr acts like a real person with complex emotions trying to wrestle with you know his his grief and 
the reality of his family situation. And it, right. th- those like just couple of scenes like just grind the movie to a halt in a really good way. But the rest of it is just like absolutely nutty and seemingly edited by a five-year-old yes and i think you're you, you're right on the money there about like how the, the levity scenes like the levity scenes and also there's a it has just enough of like the type of scenes that a movie like this needs like overcoming some sort of physical you know challenge or obstacle you know it, 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 those 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 moments happen in just the right places where all the that it does tie together all the just like bizarre wacky shit it happens to make this movie like pretty enjoyable and easy to watch, and it has like a very like, uh, very like classic, you know, like uh, adventurous score that really works well for the type of movie that it is. Like, there's enough pieces working in here that this bizarre hodgepodge kind of falls together like oddly nicely, much more so than it than it should. You said like how he was like, oh, Kubrick Jr. is going to commit suicide in the first five minutes of the movie. And when I watched it, I did not really get that impression. Really? He seems like he's just like walking like aimlessly across the beach. Not that he's going to go drown himself on this crowded beach filled with hundreds of people. No, he's definitely going to walk straight into the water. And he would have if uh, Cisco, Cisco hadn't stopped him. Cisco has the best line in the entire movie. I'm convinced Which there's is, nothing Cisco can't do. It's incredible. The part where he's like talking about, I can't remember what the setup is. He goes like, are you talking about the Jake and kids? Don't believe anything when he, that he says. Okay, sure. I shouldn't have been drilling left-handed, but he dared me. That is such a stupid line. <laughs> but the del- like the delivery in that moment, and just the, I lost it. I was laughing so hard at that part. This movie, when it ends too, it's like there's like, five endings it's like lord of the rings return of the king level of just like oh nope it's still going it was so baffling like they set it up from the beginning that he was going to uh learn to get along with these dogs he was going to get comfortable in nature then he was going to enter the sled dog race and either win or just have a victory by finishing right right that's exactly how everything was set up that does not happen not at all. Not even remotely. In fact, no. no one finishes the the big sled race. The villain wins. Who shows up at the last minute actually wins the sled dog race. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> but he wins a father. He does win a father. Dude, that scene too where like uh, N- uh Nichelle Nichols um, yes. plays his mom. And then so he's getting married at the end to the woman he meets. Cuba uh, Gooding Jr. is getting married to the woman he meets in Alaska at the end. And then Nichelle and James Coburn are sitting next to each other. Uh, and then they look at each other and like they start to fall in love. Like everything that happens in this movie. Like if you watch the setup of this movie, that's not a scene you're, you're anticipating to happen. And what does that mean? So he... So his adopted mom is is, is yeah. appears to be falling in love with his biological father. Yeah, his adopted mom is falling in love with his biological father. Right. So that means the father that he idolized and loved and helped shape who he is as a man. Is getting betrayed by everyone? 
posthumously? Well, I don't think I I don't think you can expect her to be alone forever. It's just a an odd yeah. It's that's an, a real... it's an odd plot point for who it is that she's like, and the way and this is the way it plays out. It's like it's a it's a gag. It's not something that actually has any sort of development. It's just like a throwaway gag, which is I mean I laughed so I guess it worked. But it's making me really uncomfortable. But I yeah. don't know why. I blame society. There's just so many weird little, like the part where he fills straw up in his butt and like he starts like shaking his butt at the dogs. <laughs> and that whole set, that whole segment, like that's so weird. The bear scene is weird. Uh, the dream sequence, the talking dogs is the least weird part of the dream sequence. There is some kind of a running gag about him loving Michael Bolton. Yes. Back when that was still like a funny thing. Or like blue cheese, you know, he's like, I should have known that I was adopted. I love blue cheese and my parents hate it. And then he finds out his biological dad loves blue cheese. Oh, yeah. When they're in the in the little like local store. He's like, I ordered you. I got your special order. Imported blue cheese. And he, he eats that. <laughs> the guy, the dad asked him to stop eating the cheese. And as a pure act of defiance, he fills his mouth up with cheese. <laughs> yes. I have never seen such a hilarious rebellion. I also like how the uh, the trailer for this movie like like hammers home like Oscar winner Cuba Gooding Jr. Oscar winner James Coburn in Snow Dogs. Yeah, and this is uh, James Coburn's final movie. I mean, I don't know if that was necessarily by design, but it seems strange. no, no. He 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 died like right after the movie came out. It just seems very strange that this is where Cuba Gooding Jr. landed. And with like uh, what James James Belushi, wait, as the as the voice of the dog, yeah. What was even yeah, the point also, of that? Because it's, yeah, it's like it's one line, and it's like, oh, we got to get somebody cool for this one line. You get James Belushi, either like you get somebody else, or you just get no like anybody to do the voice. You know? Yeah, James Coburn died ten months after this movie was released. Have you ever encountered in real life a dentist as? famous as this dentist he's not like nationally famous but he's Nobody's... famous in my in miami he's on the faces of billboards buses airplane like you know sky sky riders yeah he's like a rock star dentist which is yeah yes. something i've never encountered even no. like the best dentists were still like kind of lame yeah so for him to be so popular and like a local celebrity is like real weird I mean, more power to him. I mean, he's he's he also is his his dentist office kind of looks like an airport gate. Oh yeah, his office is so strange. It doesn't make and they they tried really hard to make it like a cool modern, right? Like Hollywood dentist, and it just like looks like the wrong facility. Based on the trailer, as I rewatched the trailer before I I watched the movie, and I was like, oh, he's a car salesman. He's in a car. This is a car salesman's office, or he's at the airport all the time. Like I couldn't tell. Like, what, does he work at the airport? But sometimes it looks like a car car dealership office. You know, it's so like wacky in this like mishmash of reality and cartoon. Like he doesn't like being outside and sledding with the dog. He gets the dogs to pull a Volkswagen Beetle, right, and still ends up crashing it. Yes, in like one of the most absurd setups i've ever seen like this movie is just off the wall nutty and like i was saying about being edited by a five-year-old like there's a huge 
section in the middle, like a, I guess a training and learning montage that just jumps around from different times of the day and uh, different ge- geographic locations and just like, like I was dizzy afterwards. I was like, at what what point in the movie am I at now? Like I had no idea. It's weird. And, you know, the, the director of this movie is Brian Levant, who has directed movies like Jingle All the Way, uh, the live action Flintstones movies. And balancing tone does not seem to be one of his strong points. Beethoven, he directed that. I mean, like, these are all enjoyable movies. Um, like, but, like, like, Jingle All the Way, for instance, like, it appears to be like this, and sometimes supposed to be like just like a kid's family movie, but other times it's like this dark satire, and it doesn't really, like, I like that movie, but it, it doesn't, it, it misses the mark a lot that keeps it from being like a true classic, you know? Uh, and I'm I feeling a, I'm feeling a lot of that with this too. I think this movie is perhaps perhaps balanced a little bit better just because it just fully leans into the weirdness. But I the think maybe of- they just put everything, like all their effort and resources, into working with the dogs. Yes. Uh, versus caring about literally anything else. So like- yeah. Also, the cast of this movie is impressive. We've already mentioned like. James Coburn and Cooper Jr. and Nichelle Nichols, uh, Cisco, whatever. Um, but also like M. Emmett Walsh, Graham Greene, Brian Dole Murray, and Michael Bolton does in fact have a cameo himself in it. Oh, and that's actually my favorite scene with the giant CD, like giant <laughs> yes. CD case. Yes. Oh, I love that. This movie made $113 million off of a $33 million budget. So we should have gotten a Snow Dogs too, is what you're saying. Where the fuck did that money go? Thirty-three million dollars. Where did it? Where did it go? Probably, I mean, mostly to Cuba Gooding Jr. All the snow was already there. Also, did you see that this movie is like based on a book? Uh, I could see that. Oh wait, I'm sorry. Inspired by it's it's suggested by the book Winter Dance: The First Madness of Running the Iditarod suggested wow that's a loose adaptation <laughs> holy shit it's like this guy was like well i was walking through the airport and i was at the books the newsstand and i saw a book with a sled on it and that's where i got the idea for this <laughs> I, movie i read the back <laughs> <laughs> and it inspired me to make this i was like comedy it's like this sounds good but what if it was about a black guy who had a white daddy didn't know about <laughs> yeah that was one joke that actually got kind of tired is everybody's reaction to that oh yeah it was not it was not good just like the big eyes like huh you're his huh what either way it's a it's a it's a it's a bad joke that's unfunny at best and offensive at worst that they just keep doing over and over and over and over oh those snowboard kids who show up at the very like when he first arrives in Alaska, and like there's a snowboard kids with yeah, the Beavis and like, Butthead type <laughs> yeah characters, and they're they're in that scene, and then they're in the final scene of the movie where he has like he's like I got my new dentist office in in Alaska. Oh, that sort and, of, the, and they and they work for him <laughs> like they're his like lab assistants. That that sort of wrap up scene was yeah one of the best in terms of like just absolute absurdity. Like, yes, th- that's what's great is moments like that, like without scenes like that this movie would have no saving grace because it is no. like just kind of absolute nonsense but like yes they're willing to take stuff and just push it to like the 
this movie is so close to being like a airplane, like scary movie, not another teen movie type spoof. But like it could go, yeah, it could go it down just that road. Barely misses that. Like that's right. how crazy it is. Right. I would like to see like a like a an in depth documentary on the making of this movie. Not one of those just like DVD features where they talk about like, yeah, we're out here in the snow. These dogs, we train with the dogs. The dogs are great. Oh, it's gonna be you're gonna love it. The, everyone's gonna be love these things. The fa- whole family. No, but like a those, five but, hour oral yes. history from start to finish. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like what? Like where did this? Where this? From point A, from the inception of an idea to the end, like how we got here. I would really like to see that. Oh yeah, yeah. Everybody's journey to getting cast in the movie, the writing, uh, what the production was like, post production. Because yeah, this movie just screams like more going on than you think. Absolutely. You said you had some other some honorable mentions or something. Oh, yeah. I mean, because once I start talking about snow and thinking about snow, uh, it makes me want to see more snow. And so mm-hmm. I'll start, you know, obviously movies like The Thing, uh, where the weather plays such a, a important part. Uh, or what's that Stephen King movie? Uh, I know, wait, I, know, I have, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you, you know what saying, it is. Sometimes the, the, Sometimes they come back? No, no. It's the, oh. sp- the spooky guy in this snowed-in town. Oh, uh, Storm of the Century? That's it. Yeah. Storm of the Century. I have not seen that, but I want to watch it. I was thinking sometimes they come back solely for that the, the video box cover where it's like a hand coming up out of the ice or snow, but I actually don't think there's any snow in the movie. No, they go up into a cave, and there's like a portal to hell where the yeah. demons come back from. Uh, now, sometimes they come back three. I think that one takes place in Antarctica, so that one has. Yes, actually it does. Yeah, there's sometimes yeah. they come back, sometimes they come back again, and then sometimes they... Come back for more. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> what, a, what a title. I, I'm impressed you you were clocked in on that one. I have seen all three of those movies. Oh, I watched nice. them all. I watched them all one day. And sometimes they come back from war. I th- has like zero connection. Uh, yeah, it is. I think it like not even not even like in characters, but also like plot, and it's completely different. And it seems like there is. I think they had a completely different movie. They're like, we well, could just retitle it and uh, cash in on this franchise. Oh, definitely. But yeah, Storm of the Century. That's on my list to watch. Um, but I did watch Cliffhanger. Oh yeah, which is simultaneously one of the greatest action spectacles and also just like a colossal piece of shit it's (laughs) crazy how there's like nothing in the middle it's like either the worst thing you've ever seen or the greatest thing you've ever seen well it's also weird how well it works you know given like the complete ill conception of most of it (laughs) yeah my favorite thing is the cisco and ebert review of it where Gene Siskel has like, oh, blah, 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 stupid action movie, da, 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 da. And <laughs> Roger is like, now hold on there, Gene. And he's like, no, 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 no. He's <laughs> like, oh, yes. He's like, how dare you? <laughs> when he says, oh, now hold on there, Gene. <laughs> you know you're, you're, you're in for something great. And you can see Gene at the end going like, ah, oh, Roger, really? Are you serious? Like, uh, like he's committed some sort of horrible atrocity. They get really heated because this was their period where they were argue- like 
Roger was starting to get into his phase where he was like, listen, there are movies that are trying to be something, and then there are movies that are just what they are. Right. There are movies that are just like an action spectacle, and you have to accept them on that level and critique them by that same standard. And not holding them to the same standards as, you know, Schindler's List or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Like five years earlier, they both would have agreed like, oh, right. an action movie set in the mountains. We've seen that already in one movie, so you can't do it again. Right. Like Ebert stopped being like a critic for the sake of being a critic, you know, and Siskel never did. Yeah, he was far less academic in his yeah. reviews, and it, it allowed him to be actually a lot more uh, interesting in his opinions, I think. Well, I think, I think you sometimes t- totally got the impression, too, that just the way siskel would talk about or the way he would crit- criticize a movie it's like you actually kind of like this movie but you just don't feel like you can admit it you know oh yeah he would, he be would always criti- be like i liked it but i can't recommend it or he would say something that's just like the criticism would just be like so like beyond anything that actually had to do with the movie it is just like you're just saying bad things you're not even actually talking about the movie you yeah know? so it's like you you did you secretly enjoy this movie but you don't want to be seen as like a like, the, there's no way that you could admit to liking Death Wish 4 or something, you know? <laughs> like, not run mean. out of town. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, that Cliffhanger review is great. And Cliffhanger is a great movie. And Snow mm-hmm. plays such a prominent part. As I'm watching, though, the, the fact that they're hiking around for at least 18 hours mm-hmm. in, like, not even just, like, low-level mountain conditions, like, severe, like, high altitude mountain right. conditions they would all be freezing to death and cold and wet and starving like i mean the, the very fact that like stallone is in a t-shirt most of the time oh yeah and then you they go up to that cabin he gets that ratty sweater and he goes from yeah. having hypothermia to like being fine in about 10 minutes right yeah it, it's fucking absurd but but it works <laughs> yeah and like i said there's some real hokey ass shit in it but some of the uh like helicopter uh, and, you know, sort of wide establishing shots. And especially the opening, like, climbing shots are fucking breathtaking. Yes. Like, absolutely Absolutely. mind-blowing stuff. There's also, I can't remember exactly what scene it is. Uh, I think it's where, like, maybe where he shoots, somebody's, like, shooting up from below the ice, where it's obviously that there was, like, so obviously, like, some of it was shot outside on location and some of it was shot on a soundstage. Oh, no, the, it, the terrible set with the fake yeah. ice coming off the bridge and stuff. Yeah, and it, and it cuts back and forth in between, the, in, in within the same scene. Oh, my God, that well, is so the, amazing. The Travers is, like, hunting Sylvester Stallone's character, Walker, mm-hmm. and uh, he walks off from, it's like a bluebird day out, perfectly beautiful blue skies, uh and the light is completely different. He walks over a couple of hills and all of a sudden he enters this area that where everything is like iced over and like gray flat light and just looks like completely different. Like it looks like he yeah. went from going outside to an inside location. And it's mm-hmm. so hokey looking. All all just to set up their showdown and let uh you know, Sylvester Stallone go take off his shirt under the ice and then shoot him with the uh, like the bolt gun or whatever. No, it's fantastic. There's so much stuff like that. Just fucking c- cutting from all these incredible wide shots to these close ups where there, it's obviously like a matte painting because the clouds aren't moving. Right. At all. <laughs> and there's a, there's an aspect of that. I mean, that I actually like 
beyond it just being like goofy, particularly when you're watching a lot of older movies that were like predominantly shot shot on sh- shot on sets, uh, but then would occasionally have scenes that were done outside. Like there's a lot of there was a lot of artistry in like melding that and creating a visual style that wasn't necessarily like a hundred percent real, but a type of hyper reality and like uh, and stuff, particularly like in old westerns, you know. Oh yeah. So I I I, I can and that kind of has disappeared, you know, with with like more and more green screen and CGI, which is its own thing. I'm not, you know. But when I see that, when I see that happening in a more modern movie, even when it's kind of goofy in its execution, there's an aspect of it that I like because it is reminiscent of, you know, a dying style of filmmaking. Oh yeah, definitely. Like I'm, I'm a sucker for like movie trickery and like camera tricks and all that. But just sometimes it's like it sticks out so much. Like oh, absolutely, yeah. Woof. One of my favorite weird things in that movie is it's in that opening scene where like the woman's dangling from the rope, mm-hmm. right? And it cuts back, keeps cutting back to Michael Rooker and the uh, I can't remember the actress's name. She was uh, the Jeanine lady. Turner. Yeah, Jeanine Turner, and then that old man. The old man is smiling like he's having a great time. Yeah. Through that entire scene where everyone else is like, "Oh my god, no!" And he's just going like, <laughs> "It is so fucking weird." But he's also one of those guys who has like an old leathery face. So when he's yeah, he's squinting, all of his yeah. skin like pulls up and like cinches together, and so it looks like he's smiling. Yeah, it's but it's it's just so funny. He's a weird character, man. He sticks out. He's another thing that sticks out like a sore thumb. Like he looks like an old timey actor. Like he looks like an old black and white photo come to life. Uh huh. It's so strange. Like what is he even doing in there? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he's somebody. Like if I looked him up, he would probably have like, oh, he was in a hundred westerns like a... directed by John Ford or something. Right. He was on like some show in the seventies, I think. I never realized that Leon enigmatic leon who only has one name it's the same guy who was in cool runnings oh shit you're right he is so menacing that i for my entire life i never connected the dots no that it's the same guy oh oh, the dad was uh the 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 old man he was the dad on the waltons oh okay that's what that's where he is yeah his big claim to fame I've never seen that show, but I've definitely. You're aware of it. Pe- people reference it, yeah. That is the yeah. That is the same guy from Cool Runnings. That's crazy. And he played Little Richard. In oh yeah, Little Richard, Above the Rim, The Temptations movie. Wow. I love the tension between the criminals, like for no reason. They hate each other so much. And yeah. Even though they're on the same team and it's never established any reason why, like you said, no reason. It's just like, oh, I hate you. Yeah, that's a good one. I mean, I'm a sucker for any horror movie set in the snow, too. So like 30 Days of Night, I love that concept. I I like that movie quite a bit. Did you ever see The Grey? Once people kind of spoiled it and said like, oh, the wolves aren't in it very much. uh, Right. I, I just gave up on it and never watched it. Yeah, it's very good. I like it quite a bit. And I the wolves are actually in it a, a fair amount. I think it just it doesn't end with the wolf sh- like showdown you yeah, think it is. The, combat. Yeah, that the trailer made it out out to be. I liked it quite a bit though. I do want to watch that uh Liam Neeson uh where he's like Ice a, Road Truckers movie? Yep. What what is it's it's just something called like the Ice Road, isn't it? Yeah, I believe so. 
Or what about the one where he, oh, wait, it, there's a one where he plays, he drives a snowplow. No. Yes, he drives a snowplow. It's a, it's another action movie where he plays a snowplow driver. What's it called? Oh, Cold Pursuit? Maybe. Or is that the... No, yeah. <laughs> it's like a grieving snowplow driver seeks out revenge against the drug dealer who killed his son. Oh, yeah. that's Maybe that's the one. Maybe that's the one I was thinking of. That looks there's also great. one. There's also one called the Ice Road, where he plays like. Oh, okay, that's, that's one new. where they're like driving the truck. Right. Like we got to get this this truck over the ice, but they're oh. being chased by assassins for some reason. I love it. I like yeah, all that crap like reindeer games, all of those stupid movies set in the snow just so people can like slip or like take a snowball to the face or uh, maybe get stabbed with a shard of ice. Like all those like stupid gimmicks. Like I you just like sign so me much. up. What about the uh, the nude snow fight in the beginning of uh, Red Heat? Oh yeah, which is basically is like it starts out in the Russian bathhouse, which is what's like it's quite a bit like that scene that was, they got all the attention in Eastern Promises with Viggo Mortensen. But it starts out like that, and then Arnold throws the dude out through the wall, and they're and then they start fighting outside in the snow. I guess that's not a snow movie, but it's a great snow scene. It is, yeah, it's a real nice snow scene. Uh, but yeah, I'm actually not that much of a fan of that movie. It's definitely reaching beyond like what it is, you know. But it's fun. I do like all his Arnold trying to do a Russian accent. Is <laughs> wow. He feels like he just gives up halfway through, and it's just like, hey, you're foreign. It's fine, just like any accent. Yeah. I mean that was quite a thing too in like that period of time where it was just like, Oh, you you're foreign, you can uh you can just play any you can play any any European that you don't right. have to change your accent. Alan Rickman, German, why not? Swiss, Austrian, Belgian, whatever. Yeah. I will say that one of the all time great snow scenes, and it's got everything, is the training montage from Rocky Four. Oh, sure. When Rocky gets to Russia and they, you know, they're going to stay in the secluded cabin and the snow is waist deep and, you know, they're in the barn training by by firelight. Uh, that's one of the all-time greats. That's the, the kind of stuff that makes me, I love blizzard conditions, mm-hmm. but I love fire inside a wood structure with the how, wind howling outside. <laughs> yeah, like all totally. of that stuff is great. Yeah. Did you like the the Revenant? Did you see that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Revenant's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Almost too unbelievable. What? It's almost like someone was lying about the story. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, wait, he forgave everybody? Oh, okay. Hmm. He didn't take revenge? Yeah, if you do research into that that tale, it's uh, not quite, obviously, a movie. You want to make right. it more interesting and exciting and all that. But even the actual story is not quite all it's cracked up to be. But Well, it's crazy, though, because, I mean, like, yeah, so in the movie, hey, like, they, they, they leave him for dead. They kill his son, all this blah, 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 and he comes back for revenge. Even the original story, while it doesn't have the murder and revenge aspects of it, it's still a dude that, they, that was, like, left because they thought he was going to die in, you know, the... The, the Arctic wilderness and then like makes it back on his own, you know, I guess it's not the Arctic, but like the frozen wilderness that in and of itself is already compelling enough, you know? Oh yeah, definitely. As far as a tale of survival, like you can't right, yeah. get much better. 
Yeah, and the fact that it was shot in such a raw way with natural light and, mm-hmm. you know, the available weather versus, you know, kind of doctoring that up. And that's very impressive. I love the old style uh, snow. Like in, uh, if you watch It's a Wonderful Life and they've got these uh-huh. big, hunky snowflakes because it was yeah. like soap flakes. Yes. And you can tell because in, in a lot of the scenes with water, uh, the the top of the water is all foamy and soapy. Oh, cool! Yeah, That's all That's the, good... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've seen that movie like a hundred times, and it like it makes me laugh all every time. Yeah. And the same thing ha- happens to Jimmy Stewart's. Uh, his hair is, starts gets gets a little soapy and slick and everything. Like it's great. I just love that they. That was their old trick, and it worked so well. The snow looked so good. There's really no substitute. Well, you got any other s- snow topics, snow movies? No, I think snow that's thoughts? about it. But like I said, like it's it's aside from like Gremlins, which is arguably my favorite Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just fun to watch movies that are set in the season and kind of yeah. help help kind of fill in the the vibe and the energy. Because like I said, it's it's you know high thirties, low forties here right now. We haven't had any snow just up in the mountains uh nothing in the lowlands yet so it's it's fun to kind of help fill in the gaps of that while we're waiting mm-hmm. for the real thing to come yeah by. totally and if you Agreed. know if you live in places where there aren't snow uh it's fun to get like get lost in that world and escape a little bit like mm-hmm. it's one of the great things about movies you can live vicariously inside of them that is true well, guys, thanks for checking out another episode of The Trash Heap. Well, man, we're closing in on the end of the year. That's right. The last we episode have, of the year. We have a special end of the year episode about a movie that takes place at the end of the year. Crazy. How do we dig, S- dig up something like that? I don't know, dude. You'd we're just to be like... a genius to arrange something like that so perfect. Hey, we're breaking all the rules, man. We're doing, we're doing it the Trash Heap way. You know, we're cutting ground that has never been touched by human human thought or hands so tune in next time to listen to us ramble again on the trash heap final episode of the year i'll see you later keith just remember that anything can happen on a snow day and until next time the dumpster is closed goodbye everyone the leg jiggler i can't go out with a leg jiggler (laughs) 